0: Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long.
1: And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. Well, today is Veterans Day and we are celebrating those men and women who serve us in uniform in all of the branches, the U.S. Army, the U.S. Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guard. And, of course, we're down in D.C. today at the World War II Memorial. But with us on the phone is Congressman Bill Johnson. Before we get to him, I want to play a little uh, tribute to Veterans Day, and I hope that you're observing it with us.
0: Every year on November 11, Americans celebrate Veterans Day, honoring those who have served in the United States Armed Forces. While war is always a tragic evil on this planet, the preservation of the freedom we enjoy today is due to the dedication of men and women who serve and are willing to give their lives, if necessary, for the rest of us. On this day, legally, two minutes of silence is recommended to be observed at 11 minutes past two Eastern Standard Time.
1: Well, again, that is Veterans Day today, and we are recognizing our veterans. And, of course, uh, in Washington, D.C., we're taking in the observances at the World War II Memorial, the Vietnam Memorial, and uh, later the Korean Memorial. All will have observances on Veterans Day. With us on the phone is a veteran himself and a member of Congress from Ohio's 6th District, our good friend, Congressman
2: Bill Johnson. Congressman, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me today, Chris. It's a, it's a really important day of observation. Well, that's right,
1: and we want to thank you for your service as you served us in the military and now serving us in Congress. And I know it means a lot to you to support the men and women in uniform. Your
2: thoughts? I, I do. You know, we've had... Uh, We've had about 1.3 plus million Americans that have died in uniform for the cause of freedom. Uh, there's no greater military on the planet than the United States. Uh, it's what has, uh, uh, it is what has made us the great nation that we are. Uh, because if you, if you consider the fact that the United States is the guardian of the gate of freedom, for the rest of the free world, uh, imagine where we would be if the United States were not standing guard at that gate. Uh, so I am, I am tremendously honored to have worn the uniform and to have served with some of America's uh, most treasured assets, our men and women in uniform. And, and I'm glad that, uh, that you're taking the time out today to recognize them. Well,
1: that's right. It's our great service to thank the men and women who serve us in uniform. You know, uh, over the years, going down to the World War II Memorial, and uh, with the honor flights and from Ohioans that we're visiting, and you and I have had quite an experience over the years. In fact, I was looking through some of the old pictures of years gone by of some of the veterans that you escorted to the World War II Memorial and on the honor flights, which would take in all the war memorials in Washington, the World War II Memorial, the Vietnam uh, Memorial, the Korean Memorial, of course, going over to Arlington Cemetery. Uh, You participated with several honor flights, and one notable one, and bless his memory, George Poppy Fowler. You actually officiated over his funeral this last winter, and Sylvia and I had the honor of uh, being able to meet you there in Coolville, and what a crowd that came out that day, uh, to honor uh, one of our notable uh, veterans who served in the US Navy in the Pacific Theater and also testified on the D-Day prayer uh, project which we're going to be talking about in a minute it's dedication finally 10 years later but tell us about uh, George Poppy
2: Fowler oh my goodness what what a uh, what a character uh, poppy was you know you don't you don't meet very many like him uh, he, he, talked, he, he talked like it was yesterday about his experience as, as a backseat um, uh, gunner in, a, in an SBD helldiver uh, bomber in, uh, in the Japanese theater during World War II. I mean, he and his unit were part of the uh, uh, softening up of Iwo Jima before the Marines even landed there in that critical campaign. And, uh, and to hear Poppy talk about it, it was no big deal uh, uh, to him. He never, he never feared for his life, uh, for his safety. Um, he was doing a job, wearing the uniform of the greatest nation on the planet. And, uh, and his faith in God was so strong that uh, he knew that doing his job was risky, could cost him his life but he knew where he was going should that happen. And uh, fortunately he made it home and uh, boy, he influenced a lot of people's lives along the way. And I was so grateful that, uh, that I met him on one of the honor flight uh, uh, visits, Uh, met him in Columbus early one morning uh, when I was assigned as his chaperone. And we became, uh, we became close friends. He would, he would call me and ask me about my, uh, my family, how my wife and son were doing. Uh, he was in the hospital one time, and uh, Leanne and Nathan went up to visit him, and he, uh, he went on and on and on to me about how much that, that meant to him. He was a family man, uh, a God-fearing man, and, uh, and, of course, he loved our country with, an, uh, with a deep and abiding love. I took him not only to testify before Congress when we did the uh, World War II D-Day Memorial Prayer Act uh, uh, legislative hearing, but I also took him to a State of the Union address, and uh, he got a big kick out of that, too.
1: Well, that's right. I'm actually looking at the photos from the honor flight back in October of 2011, Bill, if you can imagine that, and that's when you took uh, Poppy there. I got a chance to meet him that day, and of course— We then had him go in to Congress to testify on the D-Day Prayer Project. You were the House sponsor. Senator Portman was the Senate sponsor. It finally got passed in 2014. Since that time, we've been raising the money for its addition at the World War II Memorial. We finally secured the major grant. And we're going to have a dedication in June of 2022. We're going to get an announcement here shortly of when construction will begin. And then, of course, it's dedication in June. There will be a permanent addition to the World War II Memorial to be an honor and a remembrance to all those who served us in World War II. But it's not just for them. It's for all of our veterans. And, you know, the World War II veterans said that. I remember, in fact, I think it was uh, one of the honor flights some of the world war II veterans pointed over to the vietnam memorial and said you know you get over there and thank those men for their service and you know ever since i have my wife and i make it a a uh, a duty to get over there to the vietnam memorial as well to their observance and to thank them for their service and it means so much to these men and women in uniform that have served us in uniform to just thank them for their service your thoughts
2: you know i i agree with you 100% i uh, i can't imagine uh, putting up the World War II memorial and not having um, uh, Franklin Roosevelt's prayer that he prayed with the nation that day. The title of the prayer became known as Let Our Hearts Be Stout. Uh, he prayed that prayer over the, uh, over the radio on uh, June 6, 1944, as our brave men and women were embarking to land on the beaches of Normandy and and you know I'm reminded uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt knew something uh, that uh, that some of our modern presidents have have seemed to have forgotten a little bit about uh, Chris. You know Benjamin Franklin uh, in the summer of 1787 when they were when when they were at the Constitutional Convention uh, they were at an impasse. They didn't think. That, uh, that they were going to get the job of writing the Constitution done. And he was recognized by the president of the convention, uh, George Washington. He wasn't president of the United States yet because the Constitution had not been finalized, but he was the president of the Constitutional Convention. And uh, George Washington recognized Benjamin Franklin, and Benjamin Franklin said these words. He said, I've lived long, sir. And the longer I live and the more I see, the more convincing proof I I see of this truth, that God deals in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow can't fall from the sky without his notice, how do we think it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? And I can tell you, from Benjamin Franklin and, uh, and George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, all of our founders, all the way up to and including uh, Poppy Fowler and uh, 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 so many others that have fought and bled in, uh, and seen their, uh, their uh, fellow warrior mates killed in action, uh, they know that without God's help, there have been many, many, victory, uh, many victories that, uh, that America would not have achieved had it not been for God's divine intervention. So I'm really proud of the work that's been done to, uh, to prepare the World War II Memorial Prayer Act to be, uh, to be put on that plaque. It's my understanding the National Park Service and the commission are, are finalizing the, uh, the design as we speak. And uh, we should know soon about when construction is going to begin. I think you just mentioned that.
1: That's right, and so we're so excited about that and Of course, right now, there is a the d day prayer plaque that was placed there two years ago. It was only supposed to be there for four months, but they left it in the ground. And it was, uh, I was asking Senator Portman, can't we have something here that would let people know that this is the future site of where the the prayer will be added? He said, I said, can't we have like a little sign? He said, I think we'd do better than that, Chris. I think we can have a little prayer plaque. And I said, that'd be a great idea, Senator. And of course, we did. And we dedicated it in the 75th anniversary. And uh, it's been there ever since. And so, you know, and literally thousands of people have read that prayer already. Bill, who have come by what is called the Circle of Remembrance just beyond the Atlantic Arch, and have seen that prayer plaque and read the prayer of FDR on D Day. Folks can learn more about this uh, project at D Day dot That's D Day Prayer Project. O-R-G. And we're going to have a wonderful ceremony in June. We're going to have World War II veterans that are still with us. We're going to have reenactors from the World War II era. Uh, we're going to have uh, dignitaries and, of course, clergy. And, and hopefully, folks, you come on down and come down next summer anytime to visit your nation's capital. Take in the sites and visit the D-Day Prayer Project Uh, the D-Day prayer, excuse me, while you're visiting the World War II Memorial. And read it aloud. It was a prayer speech that the president prayed with the nation on the evening of the D-Day landings, and it's the first way in which Americans and most of the world knew that the liberation of Europe was underway with Operation Overlord. So, you know, Bill, it's a great project. Uh, You initiated it in the U.S. House of Representatives, uh, Senator Portman in the U.S. Senate, and together— you got it done, and uh, the president signed it in 2014, and all these folks have sent in little donations towards the project. It's going to get done, and it's going to be, in fact, we're told, this is uh, uh, the, the first time a prayer itself has been added as a single
2: item to the mall ever. So it's historical in that way, it's and it's a great addition. Well, it is, and, uh, and I don't want you to downplay too much, uh, Chris, your involvement uh, in this project, you know the getting the legislation across the finish line certainly had its challenges. Uh, but I think you faced the bigger challenge and that was to to uh, spearhead the raising of the funds because this could not be done with taxpayer dollars and it shouldn't be. Uh, this is something that the American people uh, want to take credit in and they should because it's an American. Uh, moment in history, uh, but but you played a big role in helping to raise that money, and I just I just want to thank you as a veteran uh, for putting forth so much effort to make that happen.
1: Well, thank you. It's our pleasure to serve and and to service to those men and women who serve us in uniform. And you know, Bill, I think that many Americans recognize that, and I think that veterans say today. Uh, is actually some in some quarters more observant than it was when I was a kid. I think more people recognize the importance of stopping and recognizing those veterans, whether they served in wartime or peacetime, to recognize those men and women who sacrificed that time of their life to serve our country and to protect us against those opponents. And we've recognized that. We've seen that this generation has seen it on nine eleven when uh, tyranny came to the shores of america and we saw it on our television screens thank god we haven't seen anything like that since but uh, my father's generation of course heard it over the airwaves of the radio when pearl harbor was bombed and of course uh, wake island and the philippines were attacked and we were ushered into world war ii you know you're serving us in congress you're serving on committees you see the intelligence reports of course you can't be specific but America is always at risk of, uh, of uh, some kind of threat, is it not?
2: We are, we are, Chris. Uh, I want to I want to comment on one thing that you said. I think you're right. You know, I remember growing up uh, as a young person, and I don't remember a big emphasis on Veterans Day either. But but it it I believe the reason that that's true is because uh, who were uh, the, the, the mainstream, uh, uh, carriers of the flag when, uh, when you and I were children, it was that greatest generation of World War II veterans. And they didn't want that kind of accolades. They didn't see and believe that what they did was that exceptional. They, they went to fight for something bigger than they were. And they did it because they loved their country, and they loved family, and they believed in a, in a holy and just God that had ordained this country into being, and they just saw it as their duty. They didn't see it that they were exceptional. You and I know they're exceptional today, and today's generation certainly knows uh, the exceptional service and sacrifices that our men and women in uniform put forward uh, the stresses on their families and such. But, uh, but, but absolutely. I think, um, uh, uh, I, I think, uh, uh, it had a lot to do with that generation, not wanting to be patted on the back, uh, for, uh, for what they did. And I'm, you know, I got off on that because I thought it was such an important point. I forgot the question that you asked me.
1: Well, it, you know, about the uh, prayer itself and its addition will be a great honor. But I think you're right, Bill, that, you know, our way in which we can thank these veterans is just those veterans around us and to thank them for their service. Sometimes it's just as simple as putting up the flag outside the house, letting folks know that you're proud, uh, you know, of to be an American and proud of those who have served us in the military.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, we've got a We've got to stay the course, uh, too, Chris. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I know this is not a time to talk politics, uh, but uh, I know you well enough to know I, that, that we share common values. Uh, I know you were as distraught as I was to see our exit from Afghanistan turn out the way that it did uh, and losing our eyes and our ears in one of the most dangerous parts of the world. To allow our enemies, Al Qaeda, ISIS, and the Taliban, to uh, uh, to to regroup and uh, and get their act together, you know they all hate each other. Uh, we know that, and they will kill each other in a heartbeat. But the only thing they hate worse than each other is the United States of America, and uh, and we've just sort of turned over uh, turned over the farm to the loonie birds.
1: Well, that's right. It was such a disgrace to watch the way in which we left Afghanistan. And, you know, the current president is uh, beset with so many problems and indecisions that's actually embarrassed our country. But we need to pray for our men and women who are serving us in the military. We have people in the South Pacific. China's on the move. Russia is probing. There are lots of threats out there. My original question was about the committees that you serve on. The intelligence reports, you can't be specific, but certainly the threats still loom out there for our country, do they not, Bill?
2: Yeah, they, they, there are many, many dangers out there still looming, and uh, I am so grateful uh, for all of the young people that still volunteer, uh, sign up to put on the military uniform. I just completed my military service academy just a few weeks ago. And had some outstanding candidates, uh, and, and I'm going to be making some uh, some uh, notable uh, nominations to our military service academies here uh, within the next few weeks. And uh, I I am so I am so grateful uh, that I live in a nation where our young people still believe in the cause of freedom, and they understand that freedom is not free, and and it takes sacrifice to protect it.
1: Well, that's right. My uh, sons and I had the opportunity to take in a, the uh, game at Notre Dame, and they were hosting Navy. And when the midshipmen came into the stadium, everybody was on their feet applauding the, the opposing team, our U.S. Navy, uh, coming in. It was real touching to see that. <clears throat> yeah, Really touching I, to uh, see that.
2: I hear you. You know, I got one funny story to tell you, Chris. I Uh, When I was a commander in the Air Force, uh, winning the base uh, uh, commander's trophy, athletic uh, trophy for uh, intramural sports was a big, big deal. And I I was the communications squadron commander of one of the largest Air Force bases in the world. And we had won every sporting event championship that year, and we were in the playoffs for football. And in the semifinals, one of the uh, one of the system program offices had a quarterback uh, that had been the all American quarterback from the Air Force Academy, uh, D. Dallas. I don't know if you remember that name or not, but uh, but he was an all American, uh, and uh, I had a young admin clerk that sat just outside my office, and he intercepted the former. Uh, uh, All-American from the Air Force Academy, intercepted him three times, and my unit won uh, the football championship, and we took home the uh, the Commander's Trophy for intramural sports that year. That was a big deal. That's great.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Bill, um, of course, we're um, praying for our country right now as we have so many challenges. As you're serving in Congress as a Republican, you're in the minority. Uh, the radical left is trying to push a lot of agenda that doesn't always favor our military personnel. I know that you're holding the line, making sure that veterans' issues are addressed and that our United States serf- uh, uh, service personnel have everything that they need uh, to defend our country. Your thoughts on that?
2: I absolutely, you know, our, our, I still believe we have the greatest military on the planet, uh, but 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 this word goes out to our generals. I, I hope our generals are focusing on taking care of our warriors and being ready uh, and, and capable to be the most lethal, uh, powerful military on the planet. Uh, knock off all of this wokeness and uh, uh, critical race theory and, and all of that stuff that's going on. I don't, I don't think there's any problem that can't be solved in our military where. Uh, uh, relationships between different races and different sexes go uh, when you live by the core values that I live by in the Air Force. Integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all that you do. You live by those three core values. There's not a lot that can go wrong, and there's a lot that can go right on the battlefield.
1: Thank you, Congressman, for being our guest today. We appreciate it. Again, happy Veterans Day to you. Thank you. God bless you, Chris. Thank you, my friend. Again, that's Congressman Bill Johnson from Ohio's 6th District as we celebrate Veterans Day. And to learn more, you can visit ddayprayerproject.org, and that's adding FDR's D-Day Prayer at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. And you can make a contribution there as we're going to need funds for the dedication ceremony and some of the personnel we want to get down there in June. So if you'd like to make a contribution to that, there might be some remaining expenses also for the construction. That's at D Thank you for listening and God bless.
3: Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation. This day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our public, our religion
0: The following is a previously aired broadcast. Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, President of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long.
1: And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We're going to be talking about religious exemptions from the COVID-19 vaccines. And many people are actually facing termination of employment if they don't get the vaccine. Well, some folks, for actually medical reasons, religious reasons, and personal reasons, cannot take the COVID-19 vaccine. And uh, that should be their right. It's their constitutional right. I mean, the right of your, the uh, security of your person, it doesn't get any more uh, secure than that, and uh, yet these uh, companies and corporations are deciding to mandate the vaccine for their employees as a term of employment. But there is an opportunity for people to file for religious exemption. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the legislation at the state house. There's been several pieces of legislation that are being um, well, they're in process, and they're being considered. House Bill 248, of course, was for months in the Health Committee, and the debate raged in that committee. Uh, there's actually a discharge petition on that uh, bill, that specific bill, that would be a vaccine uh, freedom bill, uh, in other words, a vaccine mandate freedom bill 248, also House Bill 435. We'll get into the details of those two pieces of legislation and what might Uh, or may not be happening currently at the state house, as far as legislation to provide some relief to Ohioans who are facing, well, actually, this is a crisis. If you're being threatened with uh, being fired because you don't take a substance into your body, I would call that a crisis. But uh, we have a lot of folks we've been able to help with religious exemptions, and uh, we're going to be talking about that. And I want to share with you that my guest and I, Well, actually, on Thursday, November 4th, that's tomorrow night, uh, for those of you listening to this program during the day, it will be tonight, November 4th, at the Wadsworth Nazarene Church. That's at 743 High Street in Wadsworth, Ohio. Uh, They also call it the Now Church, but it's the old Nazarene Church. It's right there on Route 94, off of 224, 7 o'clock tomorrow night. We will be talking and providing information about religious exemptions and also talking about... State uh, statehouse update on vaccine mandate freedom uh, legislation. With me on the phone sure. is State Representative Scott Wiggum of Ohio's 1st District, and he's, uh, this is a very personal issue to him as well. I'm going to let him share about that. And he and I had the opportunity of sharing in a church about four weeks ago to help some people uh, that night. In fact, on a Monday night, that church was packed out with people uh, wanting to have information on how to obtain a religious exemption from the COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, Representative, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, Chris, for having me. Well, thank you, Scott. We appreciate all that you're doing, and we know that you were a signer of the discharge petition on House Bill 248. Let's talk about that because this started some months ago down at the state house When the vaccines rolled out, there were people who had concerns with the vaccines uh, because, of course, as pro-life groups have been talking about, that uh, the three vaccines that are available in the continental United States, uh, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson, all were either tested or developed with aborted fetal cell lines. So for those who are pro-life and object morally uh, to abortion, uh, and of course then these vaccines were either, again, tested or developed with aborted fetal lines, many pro-life Ohioans decided, I'm not going to get the vaccine. So this piece of legislation, State Representative Jen Gross introduced it, had a number of co-sponsors, had hearings in the Ohio House. Many people have heard about it. Tell us a little bit about 248 and why you signed the discharge petition to bring it directly onto the floor out of committee. Well. That's a great question.
3: 248 is a more broad vaccine uh, bill that allows you to not, uh, it, it allows you to have inform, be informed consent on every vaccine that's out there. So it's a it's a more broad bill that it gives you that ability whether you're in school or in any job, um, regardless of where you're at. So that that's a pretty broad bill, and I still think that that is a very good bill uh, constitutionally. The 435 bill uh, narrowed down into. Um, Covid only, and it went after the Covid issue uh, only, and tried to make make it so okay. We're not going to be distracted by you know uh, uh, some of the other uh, vaccine uh, that have been debated about whether or not you should be forced or not forced. We so four thirty five would have focused just on the Covid issue. Now I will tell you this: you've probably got ten to fifteen members who have signed on already to some sort of anti-COVID, I mean, sponsored their own bills. So this thing is, 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 is popular. This issue is not going away. The Republican Party, and I'm a Republican, so I know that, that you're, you're apolitical, but I'm telling you, it, it, you're not going to get any help from the left. Uh, they love this government control. They love government pushing everything on you and having complete control uh, over your choices. Uh, And you've got Republicans who are for this. And I think this is not going to go away for us. But not only is this the moral uh, issue to to protect your citizens, not only do I think it's constitutional and that we're really uh, when you especially when you get government involved, that uh, the collusion between government and some of these multinational corporations that we see enforcing this vaccine and they're trying to use Biden as their excuse, right? Um, When you start to see that kind of collusion, you start seeing what's going on. I think we've got real serious constitutional issues, constitutional rights that we should be fighting for and liberties that we've never seen because we've never seen companies outside of the medical world. We've never seen companies do this, what we're what we're seeing right now. And And then scientifically, let me tell you, we know for a fact the CDC has admitted that those who get the covid vaccine can transmit the COVID virus. In fact, since most of the people have gotten the vaccine by now, if you have a breakthrough case and you, got a sh- and you got the shots, you most likely got it from another COVID vaccine person. So this idea that you can segregate society and that this is a scientific thing um, is, is nonsense. It's, it's not scientific to segregate society. There's something else going on here. And I think that we, uh, you know, in, the, in your state legislature have better start waking up and getting a hold of this take a look at this politically. You've got DeSantis, who's, who, you know, Governor DeSantis is either going to be at the top or bottom of the ticket in the next presidential election. That's what I believe. And I haven't seen one person say that's not the case. I mean, he was the first to, to go ahead and ban these things. You've got Greg Abbott, who just did it, uh, Governor of Texas, who just did it in Texas. So not only is this the morally and the right thing to do for our citizens and protecting, you know, their, their liberties uh, and their constitutional rights, but I think it is it is the politically right thing to do. And I just can't understand understand how we have not been able to, to, to get this going forward. Um, there are a lot of interests that are fighting against this issue.
1: Well, and it's been a great discouragement to Ohioans who actually have faced, again, termination of employment. These are nurses. These are doctors. These are healthcare care workers. Uh, as a, a number of the healthcare hospital associations uh, just about six, eight weeks ago announced a vaccine mandate. Now, some of them drew back a little bit, provided accommodations for a number of their employees. But if you look at Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals, two large hospital associations in greater Cleveland, Northeast Ohio, they chose not to mandate the vaccine. Cleveland Clinic, of course, which is uh, internationally renowned, basically stated, we can ill afford to lose healthcare workers at a time we're going to need them most when the surge may be coming on in the fall. Well, they were somewhat prophetic because there has been uh, increased numbers of those being infected by the Delta variant here in Ohio. But again, I think how we're going to get through this, it's, So it's as you stated, Representative, it's not an issue of those who are vaccinated or unvaccinated because we have almost the equal amount of breakthrough cases of those uh, who are getting COVID-19 currently. And it's still, the jury's out whether that is actually less than the blow. We hope that's the case for those who are elderly and compromised medically, who have taken the vaccine. But again, for a lot of people that are younger, uh, they have chosen not to take the vaccine. And it, it seems as if the vaccines are having a terrible effect the younger you are uh, as far as complications. If you go to the vares website and uh, the numbers are astronomical of those who have had complications with the vaccine, some of them who have had long-term complications with the vaccine. But again, we're not here to state Don't take the vaccine. I'm not an anti-vaxxer myself, personally. I've taken my vaccines. I actually took a booster shot a few years ago when I had a uh, cut on my leg in a vacation uh, trip to New England. So I'm not anti-vax, but this is still an experimental drug. And uh, there's still a lot of um, discussion to be had on the vaccines. And then, of course, as you consider that uh, these vaccines were either created or tested with aborted fetal lines, we have a moral objection as pro-life uh, individuals that why we don't want to take the vaccine. So the fact is, being a term of, in, uh, uh, re, you know, as far as terms of employment, whether you're a nurse, a doctor, a healthcare care worker, uh, these are people that were facing a very serious problem. We've been able to help some people, not everyone, uh, with a religious exemption, but uh, our military personnel. And I want you to share a little bit of your own personal story, because this uh, touches you personally. And my son, who was in the military for years, keeps in contact with his uh, former friends in the military, some of which are approaching retirement, and they're not taking the vaccine and they may lose their benefits, although it seems that some branches of the military are drawing back. But I just saw where the Air Force is really pushing this down. Which branch of the service does your son serve in? Uh,
3: My son serves in the Army. So he's in the Army right now. He's enlisted. He's enlisted. Um, and he has asked for a religious exemption. And, and let's, let's, let's be honest—you uh, uh, know, he, not only does he feel very deeply that this is not the, the right direction for him to go, but he also has studied this issue for young, healthy people, right? So, so we, we can sit there and you can say if uh, you, that the that the vast majority of deaths from COVID have been for from people in their 80s uh, with comorbidities. And you, as as you go down in age, and as you lose, and you don't have as many comorbidities, that becomes more and more survivable. Uh, and, and so, bottom line is, is he's waiting for a religious exemption. He doesn't know how this is going to turn out. But what I'm seeing, and this is a part of, you know, I've got an older son, who who's. He was a senior in college, and about to get his, uh, his his dream job, and the dream job, uh, the internship, basically said no one can come in here without without a vaccine. You can't come oh, to the office. So so so. So here, here, this is his future, okay? We're talking, both of them are dealing with their futures. Both of my sons are. So this is a very personal issue to me, and this is where I'm starting to discover, this is far greater than just, hey, take the vaccine or don't take the vaccine. This is a, this is, I've said it before and I'll say it again, I see this as a political purge. The folks who tend not, want to, not to want to take this are working class citizens, majority, and they are also citizens, probably Christians, a lot of them, and a lot of people who just simply say, uh, "I'm looking at the evidence. I'm not trusting what they're saying to me right now." And I know my survivability rate is 99.99%. Uh, so we 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 understand those things. My my oldest son has actually had COVID. He was tested positive. He was sick for three days. Still doesn't have a smell. And the uh, thing, you know, he's willing to go get a T cell test if you want to see that. But these these two young men are as. As healthy as they can be. And both of their futures are on the line because of the mandate. And my point is, my point is, is that this is a larger effect. You know, Biden doing this, they know that they're purging these conservatives out of the military. They're, they're basically creating a second class citizen. You can't get unemployment when you get fired. Um, And so basically, Biden's mandate says, I don't care if you can't feed your family. I don't care if you lose your job and you lose your house. We're not going to give you any help because you're not doing this. Guess what, though? There's one place you can go. You can go to welfare. We'll never make you take a a vaccine for uh, free benefits from the state. Um, you, you know, this is a highly political issue because of the way they're doing it. Also, the 1.8 million uh, illegal aliens coming across the border, foreign nationals coming over here in Biden's administration, dropping them off in different segments of our, of our, of our nation. Not one of them is forced to get it. Not one of them is forced to get a vaccine. So we, this is a highly political issue. You can see it just simply because of the decisions that they're making. And quite frankly, I think it may be kind of more of a part of a, the Great Reset that they seem to the build back better reset that they seem to be talking about all the time. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor...
1: We're talking with State Representative Scott Wiggum. We are discussing the COVID-19 vaccine mandates here in the state of Ohio and federally. Now, let's talk about that federally. Now, the president announced some weeks ago about a federal mandate of employers of 100 employees or greater uh, having to mandate the vaccine. He has yet to come out with the actual OSHA language that uh, many believe it will come through OSHA as how it's being implemented. There's a report that came out last week. Of course, everybody's been looking at the election, but there was a report that came out that a number of uh, business and union groups approached the Biden administration and uh, urged them to push the vaccine mandate back until after Christmas because of the Uh, transportation problems and the, uh, you know, uh, uh, basically, we're not being able to get goods into this country. And so they're urging them to push that back until after Christmas. It remains to be seen whether the feds are actually going to do that. So who is actually under the target right now? Well, as we saw in Ohio, hospital associations, some businesses, uh, we're seeing the federal government employees, and we're getting uh, discussion from people that we know in the network, so we had the meeting down there in Orville, a, a gentleman that worked for the USDA, got a notice in his email that day. Uh, those who work for the airlines, power companies, uh, they were filled the room that night. Now, the, the airlines, uh, they, why are they doing it? Well, they took lots of bailout money from the federal government last year during the COVID-19 shutdown, and they felt obligated as contractors with the uh, federal government to mandate this. Well, they rank and file, whether the pilots or the, uh, the stewardesses and the, the, the uh, uh, crews, uh, uh, service crews of the planes, they are they're fighting back. And so now the airlines are starting to draw back on their own vaccine mandate. But the military is the one that's really under the gun, because you're obligated, as sworn to serve your country. And certainly these men and women do And yet they're being faced with this. And we see where there's whistleblowers in the Air Force that are saying that our fire pilots cannot take this vaccine. It will compromise their battle readiness. Scott, we got a real problem here. Your thoughts?
3: No, I I, uh, I absolutely agree, and that's that's where I keep on going back. That this is political. Uh, this has been a political push, and they know they know that it's that it's hurting their political opponents. And I keep on coming back to that. Listen, if 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 President Trump had done anything that uh, Biden is doing now to create a second class citizenry where you could not feed your family, um, uh, and and it would be the number one issue that everybody would be talking about, and somehow the collusion that's happened between so many of these corporations, uh, whether they're multinational or whether they're very large um, uh, national corporations, the collusion that they've 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 gotten these dollars. And you're absolutely right. um, They feel obligated to do this. And they don't know they don't quite understand what what the political implications are going forward. I mean, quite frankly, if the government and your corporations are colluding with each other to force uh, an injection in you, I've got to ask you, what can they not do to you? You have to ask that question. What can they not do to you, uh, when you, when you, when you when you advance that thought process going down? And that's the real problem that I have. Uh, we have to say no at some point in time. Listen, DeSantis just said it today. He took a Ronald Reagan statement. He said, and this is, this is what I've always said, people think that the vaccine, uh, the COVID-19 vaccine, somehow is going to end this. That's not going to end what's going on here. What's going, to, what's going to end it is government relaxing and understanding people's freedoms and understanding that there are some people that, that need, to be, uh, need to be kept safe with multiple comorbidities in our nursing homes and that the rest of society needs to go forward. Governor DeSantis said, um, and this is basically taken from Ronald Reagan, but I think it's very good, uh, you know, a recession is when your neighbor loses his job. A depression is when you lose your job. And recovery is when Dr. Fauci loses his job. And I think that's exactly where we are. I think that's exactly what's happening. And the pressure from government and the decisions that government has made and the collusion of these, of these, of these corporations, these woke corporations with that is what is putting these pressure points in and making this such a divisive issue in our country.
1: Freedom is not divisive. That's that's right. And House Bill 435 was another attempt to uh, get something through the legislature. Tell us what the status is of House Bill 435, which would give protections uh, to some health care workers, not all. It would exclude, as I understand, those who work in children's hospitals, those who work in ICU units, uh, maybe some nursing homes. Um, but it would provide some man, uh, mandate vaccine relief uh, and exemptions, broader exemptions to the general public. Uh, It would forbid uh, vaccine passports, which to me is just uh, anathema to a free republic to even consider that you have to have a vaccine passport to traffic on an airplane, to enter a building, a restaurant, uh, a a sporting venue. This is ridiculous. But uh, those on the East Coast are actually doing this in New York City, although there was a change there last night with the election. We'll see how things might change there. Of course, in Virginia, things are going to change. But in these other blue states, uh, this very draconian style of uh, leadership when it comes to the vaccine, actually forcing their citizenry to comply or else. What kind of relief can we look to here in Ohio? It seems as if the General Assembly and this, the Speaker of the House is not able to basically bring a consensus together to get something meaningful done. So Scott, what's the status? Well, <clears throat> the Speaker himself has said that he's, he's
3: not going to... He's not going to work on this issue anymore. Now,
1: I I, hate to interrupt, but how can he say that? When, when, when so many Ohioans are facing real problem, and like you said, threat of, of losing their jobs, how can he say that? Well,
3: I don't, I don't think that it can, and I think that the members have got to step up and say, Speaker, leadership, we're going to get this done okay we're going to get this done my own perception is we had a, you know my own perception is there, there there's a few more moderate members and a and few more conservative members that, uh, that, that were not in favor of this uh, and that did put us under the 50 uh, um, guideline however I, I truly believe if they added one thing to 435 I believe this and I've said this if they added something such as uh, you know we're going to ban passports you can't do a passport at public places public spaces you can't Stop people from buying groceries uh, by making them show their card, um, or 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 if they said non-discrimination between vax and unvaxxed people. We know right. that colleges right now are nailing unvaxed uh, student uh, athletes, um, just just take, raking them over the coals with uh, taking you know paying for their own uh, 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 testing every day, wearing masks when nobody else does, uh, in between sprints, just the, the, the most ridiculous things you've ever. Seen and it's all for pressure. This is just pressure. It's not science. And my point is, is that we've, um, it, you know, either one of those things would have would have, I think, finished this job. But I think there were some uh, elements who didn't want to see it go forward, and they just w- thought it would be a, a pressure relief valve, possibly. But I think it actually intensified the pressure. That now 435s out there, and we haven't done that either. But I think that this is this is disastrous. Um, I, I think our caucus has got to get back. In, in, uh, in working on this issue, and we're gonna have to get this uh, before this, this primary season. We've got to move forward on this. The, 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 the problem is, the problem is, is now that we're starting, and, and something could, it could take so long, I mean, there's just so many people that are hurting and losing their jobs right now, and you get something passed, and you don't put a clause that goes back, you know, in time, a retroactivity clause, which I think we can in this circumstance. You know, you, you still have three months, that, that companies can keep on doing this and genuflecting the Biden and saying, oh, well, we're just trying to do the right thing. The right thing is, is not forcing people out of jobs for this jab. Oh, you sh- no you. one should yeah. lose their job over the jab. No
1: one. That, There's no scientific
3: right. reason. There's no constitutional reason. So,
1: Thank you, Representative. Again, Representative yep. Scott Wiggum and I will both be presenting at the Nazarene Church in Wadsworth. That's this tonight, Thursday, November 4th at 7 o'clock. It's free and open to the public. Again, that's at the Now Church in Wadsworth on Route 94. That's 743 High Street. The information is on our website at Ohio Christian Alliance. Also, if you need uh, basically a walkthrough information sheet on filing for a religious exemption, it's on our website, too. It says some help for information from the Ohio Christian Alliance when filing for religious exemption. Again, at OhioCA.org. Thank you so much, Representative. We'll see you tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. God bless you. you. Thank you. And if you missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at OhioCA.org.
0: You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, President of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.